Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you on this uh, last Saturday in 2018. It is the 29th, right? Yeah, 29th. 29th. For some reason, I thought it was the 28th for a second, but I quickly adjusted because I remembered that we taped inside Press Box Thursday night on the 27th. Mm-hmm. So we are at the uh, 29th on the precipice of uh, 2019. Craig Heist and I are your uh, humble and obedient uh, sports reporters for the next two hours, and we'll be talking uh, nothing but the great game of baseball, except that we got a big football game here tomorrow. Craig, will you be in uh, attendance w- in the uh, uh, press box? I will be uh, in Baltimore at M&T Bank Stadium, and uh, we'll see how things go. Got to ask you a question before we lay out uh, who's on the show this week for us. Uh, from a f- Because you've covered an awful lot of press releases and coverage over your more than 30 years in this business, right? Right. Um, (laughs) Have you ever seen anything as head-scratching as the Ravens' announcement a week ago last Friday, you know, a week ago back, you know, last Friday, uh, where they announced that night that John Harbaugh was going to return in 2019 and both sides were working on an extension to the point where said team wins a huge game. Then on the Monday press conference, when asked about it, uh, the coach says, it's a non-story. And we're all like looking at each other around the press conference. Then by Tuesday, Peter King's reporting that he's hearing that John Harbaugh intends to honor his contract, but that uh, he's not, not signing any extension that he knows of. Well, it, it was very interesting. First of all, the timing of it coming out before the Chargers game, uh, I found a little bit uh, perplexing. Head scratching. Uh, head scratching would, yeah. would be just another good word for it or a good phrase for it. But uh, I just wound up, you know, knowing what was on the line in that game, knowing what uh, the season could possibly bring later on, good or bad. Right. I just thought maybe or not. Uh, I just thought maybe that. That the timing was a little bit weird. Uh, I, I fully expect John to, you know, fill, you know, fulfill the contract, be through here next year, and uh, after that, we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, we've we've gone from a four and five team to a team that's won five of six. Right. So you got to give him a, a lot of the credit, I think, for turning this thing around. They make the quarterback switch. And all of a sudden, they have to revamp the offense to fit the quarterback's. Uh, I know set. all that. I'm just getting back to the uh, the the fact that the club released felt that it was important enough to get the message out to the public that the club is behind John Harbaugh all the way and plans to extend him beyond 2019 to where the coach 
is said to be not so sure he wants to be here after 2019. Well, you know, again, I think a lot of it depends on <clears throat> pardon me, I think a lot of it depends on how this season ends up. I think a lot of it depends on whether or not they think Lamar Jackson is indeed the quarterback of this team for the future. And now we have to wait and see who they who they go out and draft and who they surround Lamar Jackson with. Let's face it. So they so didn't they I didn't really sur- they they really didn't surround Joe Flacco with a bunch of people that could uh you know go to Joe's skill set. Let's right. you know. And now some of the people that they did bring in in the offseason, i.e. wide receivers are now complaining that yeah, they're, not they're not getting, getting the, ball the ball enough. Yeah, right. Exactly. But well, all that's well and good. I just continue to get back. So you are okay. Yeah. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. I'm, I'm asking a pretty serious question here because Jess Reback brought it up in his column. It's not just Stan the Fan popping off. Jess Reback of the Athletic.com, Baltimore, brought up the idea of, you know, if he's not going to sign a contract beyond 2019 Why is with this team – why is the team okay with keeping him here? And would you consider him then an attractive asset to perhaps trade to somebody? Sure, why not? And uh, again, that's all I wanted to get if, out of if you. He, if he if he were to leave tomorrow, right? Say, say they miss the playoffs, right? If if he were to leave tomorrow, he's working the next day. There's no question about so, that. So clearly, if he's working the next day. There are teams that are waiting in the wings, or were three weeks ago, saying, well, it doesn't look like John Harbaugh is going to be back. I mean, would you agree four or five weeks ago, before this Lamar Jackson thing fell in his lap, Mm -hmm. that he was sort of a dead man walking here in Baltimore? I don't think there's any question about it. Okay, so if, let's say, the Green Bay Packers fired Mike Montgomery thinking, we'll get a shot at John Harbaugh, and now Harbaugh's saying, well, I'm not going to be a free agent this year. Might the Packers and the Ravens, if, if you know, I would think the relationship between John Harbaugh and, and Steve Bishotti is good enough and open enough that they could have that conversation. Like, do you want to coach another football team? And if so, we'll see if we can accommodate you. Right. Uh, I, I think the relationship is that good, yes. Yeah. But then... <laughs> What strikes me is gets back going backwards a couple days is if the relationship is that good, why wasn't the communication good enough to know what was in John's heart as to whether he wanted to continue to coach his football team? Well, that's a good that's a good question and something I think you'd rather have to ask Carbs. Yep, you know, and but he's, uh, he's saying it's a non-story. He's saying it's a non-story. I mean, okay. and and again. I, you know, a lot's on the line, obviously, uh, come tomorrow afternoon at 425. Uh, they're, they're playing a team that's won five of six as well, and they're five one and one in the division, and they cause a lot of turnovers. That said, Lamar Jackson can turn the football over. It's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. And I would caution all Ravens fans out there who I've heard on – Countless talk shows this yeah, week. I think that this is that a this gimmick. is a given. Uh, better start to think. You know, you know, maybe cool your jets a There's little bit. There's not another team playing for their playoff life that's got a tougher game than the Ravens. I don't tomorrow. think that's any question about that. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, there you go. Tomorrow at 4:25, Ravens are a five and a half to six point favorite by most 
by most experts. By most experts, by you know, a lot of that I think is has to do with the way they've been playing, the way this offense is run under Lamar, and the formula has to be the same. You want to keep Baker, Baker Mayfield off the field as much as you can. So time of possession again is going to be a big deal. If it's a two-one time of possession for the Ravens tomorrow, doesn't look good. For uh, it doesn't look good for Cleveland. That said, if Cleveland gets an opportunity, you don't think Greg Williams. Who, if he wins this game, he's, he's got to be in that conversation. He's got to be their head coach. Well, if he if he's not, he's certainly got to be in the conversation and, and certainly one of the top candidates for that job. Yeah, or maybe another or, job. Or maybe another job. Yeah. Who knows? All right, interesting. Uh, Four twenty-five tomorrow. Uh, me personally, I urge all Raven fans that uh, have been missing games to get out there tomorrow. I think this got a chance to be a uh, community effort. I think the fans. I think a raucous, you know, 60-plus thousand fans there would help the home team in this game. I don't think there's any question about it. And when you dial the clock back two weeks ago to when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were in here, Mm -hmm. there were 20,000 no-shows in that stadium. Right. At least 20,000 no-shows. The entire upper deck, half full. Yep. So, I mean, you know, we'll see. And, you know, this is coming on the 60th anniversary of the greatest game ever played, if you believe NFL lore, uh, and, and putting the NFL on the map when the Colts beat the Giants at Yankee Stadium in the overtime with Amici going in from a yard out. And everything that that game meant to the NFL, it would be fitting if there was a, uh, a full house and a packed stadium uh, for this game tomorrow. Uh, by the way, I, I'm guessing they're going to do it at halftime. I'm mm-hmm. not sure they're honoring what's left of the 58 team and right. some of the surviving widows. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny and Inus's widow will be there. Um, uh, Gina Marchetti will not be there, but Lenny Moore will be there. Andy Nelson will be there. Dick Szymanski will be there. And one other player, i got to be honest, I'd never heard of. He's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um but that will be tomorrow. Uh, I believe that's at halftime. Yes, and uh, again, so they're going to celebrate that, and uh, that was announced earlier in the week. Yep. Uh, so, so that's a, a really neat thing for the Ravens to, to be doing and for the fan base and, and a lot of them that are still alive that remember that and grew up with the old Baltimore Colts. I mean, this is a great time for you to show your appreciation for that team and and what it meant to the game of football yeah and that game was actually played 60 years ago yesterday Yesterday, yes all right where were you craig uh i was uh one year old at that point or not even a year old yeah not even a year i was five years old okay i was five years old i'm told no actually you're old i was six years old i'm sorry i was six years old i'm told that uh, we watched that game at my house on gustavenel Okay. Yeah. Anyway, does anybody remember being there with me? Because <laughs> I don't. I don't really remember it. Why does Gist Avenue ring a bell? G I S T. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that street, but Are I you don't. You the younger man. My mother. Uh, no. 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 Couldn't have been. It couldn't have been. All right. Um, Brittany Everett is uh, minding the store today. How are you, Britt? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good, good, good. You feeling okay? Yeah, for the most part. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's it's your, winter time. How was your holiday? How was your holiday? My holiday was great. Had family over to the house, so that was always nice. Did you do the cooking? I helped with the cooking, yes. 
Did you bring us any, like, cookies or leftovers? I, or? I did mean to bring you guys cookies, and I totally forgot this morning, but I brought you guys a present. I know. It is some present. We yeah. Got, we got the 2019 baseball trivia. Baseball trivia. We're so very appreciative. And, and Stan and I are going to split it. He'll have it the first six months, well, and I'll Wait a minute. It. Should we split it that way, or should I just rip out half the pages? And just now? give it to me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, there's the baseball trivia calendar uh, for the year. All right. So we appreciate that. Yeah, we're, you're welcome. We appreciate that. Did you get her the uh, the the book we were giving her the yeah. caps? Uh, uh, no, I did not. Okay. Can you do that next week? I and might I'll be, be able happy to, to. I might be able to. All right. Or you might not be able. I to. might not be able to. Okay. All right. So either one or the I other. Think, I think a lot of it has to do with how she treats us between now That's and then. a good then. point. It's a good. I point. am always nice to you. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Anyway, Have you ever accepted a lunch offer from Mr. Heist? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't blame you. You're a very smart young lady. She's a college graduate. College graduate. There you <laughs> go. Yeah. Craig uh, <laughs> mostly uh, preys on non-college graduates. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway, we've got the bat around for the next uh, two hours. Uh, we're going to talk some baseball now. And joining us in about seven minutes or so will be uh, number 29, a switch hitter. Uh, Mr. Ken Singleton, who played uh, his baseball with the uh, New York Mets, Montreal Expos, and uh, Baltimore Orioles in his career. Yes, Correct? yes, he did, and, uh, uh, and one, one of the one of the better hitters, uh, I think, overall that uh, I've seen play the game and covered uh, in the game. So uh, it's always good to have Singy on, and of course, he's been the uh, uh, one of the broadcasters for the Yankees over the and, past. And is remaining in the booth this year. <clears throat> yeah. He had announced he was retiring after the 2018 season, but money talks. Mm-hmm. And money. they got Mr. Swan on a short schedule. I think he's going to do about 20 to 25 games, maybe nine of them right here in Baltimore. Right, yeah. So absolutely. anyway, Ken Singleton, uh, a good friend, and one heck of You know what I loved about Singleton and what I, even in the Orioles, best times over the last five years six years they didn't have anybody in that lineup that was as tough and out as ken singleton that made the pitcher work yeah absolutely and uh kind of ironic that he goes to the yankees to be a broadcaster because if there's one team in baseball that's earned that reputation over the last 10 to 15 years the new york it's the new york yankees yeah Yeah, the other team in the american league being the boston red sox are pretty Pretty good at that own base percentage game. Uh, then joining us shortly after Ken Singleton, I mean moments after him, will be actuarial shortstop Mike Bordick, okay. who played a good chunk of his career in Oakland, played for the Orioles, the Mets, and then the Orioles again before calling it a career. He's in the Masson broadcast booth. Right, and uh, again, if you think about the switch back when he came here with Cal Ripken moving from shortstop yeah. to third base, and him playing shortstop uh, beginning in 97, uh, an integral part of that team that went wire to wire uh, to win the American League East that year. But uh, obviously everything that kind of led up to that with uh, them wanting to move Cal from, from short to third and really it was, you know, you know, junior, a lot of it with, you know, getting Mike over here that if there yeah. was one guy to be able to go ahead and do that to where Cal would feel comfortable going to third, it was Mike Bordick. And I don't think the Orioles would have acquired uh, no. Bordick uh, if Cal hadn't said, yeah, that's a guy that I, I don't mind moving over mm-hmm. for. Um, 
At that point in the show, we're going to run an interview we did uh, several weeks ago with uh, Houston Astros broadcaster Steve Sparks. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember the one where we, we talked the about, about yeah. the knuckleball, and yep. uh, we'll it will do that. Then we'll have a short break between guests, and Craig and I are going to look at some of the changes, roster changes have gone around baseball before we're joined by uh, Bill Latson uh, of MLB.com. And I want to, again, remind everybody, we're not making this our cause celeb, but Bill uh, has a uh, is in need of a kidney transplant. And um, the, what makes it complicated is he has a very rare blood type, O negative. So if anybody out there is of O negative, and I guess normally transplants, Craig, are done by family members because they probably are a much higher percentage of finding a match. Mm -hmm. But Bill has no match in his family. So we're going to need an extraordinary person that's willing to give up a kidney uh, to to participate in this. So, uh, or... Uh, know of somebody that passes that has O, o negative blood type. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm sure uh, the the national uh, kidney lists are uh, being checked and uh, all the time. But uh, if there's any type of way we can help find and facilitate a match with Bill Latson, uh, we're we're going to do it. Absolutely, and uh, I, again, this is we've known, or at least I've known about this for about three or four years now. So. Right. <clears throat> I've only known about it maybe four to six months. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, again, uh, Bill didn't want to make, didn't necessarily want to go public with this, and for the obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, but it's getting to a point now where, uh, y- you know, Bill. Bill always told me on the phone. You know, whenever we talk, he'd say, "Well, you know, I don't want to make it look like I'm a, you know, charity case." I said, "Bill." Not you know, because somebody somebody asked him about going public with it and right. the idea, and would he be up for that? And he was very hesitant at first. I said, "Bill, why not? You're trying yeah. to save your life." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, is our guest on? Our first guest is on the phone with us, Ken Singleton, former Baltimore Oriole. And Ken, before we talk about other things uh, involving baseball, wonder, do you know Bill Latson well from MLB.com? Uh, no. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, we, we've corresponded a few times the past couple of seasons. We're just putting the word out. Bill's been a longtime friend of Craig Heist since the uh, Expos moved to Washington, and I've gotten to know him through this show over the last couple of years. He's in need of a kidney transplant, and he has a very very rare blood type, which is making the... um, the connection uh, and the search, the search, very difficult. You got O negative blood, so we just wanted to put the word out there. For okay, folks. all right, all right, uh, no problem. We weren't asking uh, you to. We weren't asking. Well. We weren't asking you to give up your kidney. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I don't think I'm O negative. I'm pretty sure I'm not. All right. Hey, one of the things we plan to talk to Bill about is Bill covered the Expos. When before they moved to Washington, he covered them in Montreal, and he was there with when Frank was the manager, and they turned the you know MLB turned the you know the the, the whole franchise basically over to Frank, and right. when they were running it, so so we were going to ask. Uh, I just thought of this a moment ago. You played in Montreal with the falling apart of the Tampa stadium deal, uh, you know, in that least a uh, trop uh, running out in about six years. What do you think is a more likely thing to happen, that uh, the folks in Tampa, St. Pete, will somehow figure that stadium deal out, or 
that Montreal, uh, which is preparing uh, quite a package, I think, uh, and plans in, in negotiating with MLB, or that maybe the Rays could be transplanted back to uh, a team in Montreal. Yeah, that, that's definitely a possibility, but I think there, there's some issues uh, uh, that they have to deal with. Uh, uh, one thing they have an advantage over some of the other cities that are, uh, would like to have a Major League Baseball team is that they don't have a stadium uh, in existence. They already have one, right? although they would build a newer one mm-hmm. downtown uh, closer to uh, their fan base. Uh, downtown Montreal, as opposed to in the East End where Olympic Stadium stands now, but they they do have a stadium where they can play for a year or two while they're they're building a new one. I, I, it's very similar. Some of the things I see with the Rays, I saw in Montreal. Uh, I think we all saw in Montreal mm-hmm. before they moved. Uh, they had the plans for a new stadium. They fell through. Uh, the financing wasn't there. Uh, Major League Baseball eventually bought the team, and then they they. Remember, they played some games in Puerto Rico for a yeah, while yeah. before they went to D.C. Uh, there, there, there are some uh, other things here uh, that, that are working, though. I, I think Major League Baseball and the, and the owners would like to keep cities of Montreal and Portland and maybe San Antonio and some other cities that uh, I haven't mentioned right now. They would like to keep them open for expansion right. as opposed to moving a franchise. They, they'd rather see Oakland... And the Rays get their acts together, get their stadium deals going, and then they can hold those other cities open for uh, two more teams. Yep. And, of course, when those two more teams buy into the league, expansion fees will be just astronomical. I, I, I think they're like, uh, I heard a, a billion and a half dollars wow. just to buy yeah. into the league. And, of course, all the other owners, they split that money. Yeah. So that, that's why they want to keep these cities open for expansion as opposed to moving a team whether it be Tampa Bay or Oakland or anybody else for that matter, to these cities and just suck them up. So I, I think they'd like to see the Rays get their act together. One thing that happened, and you mentioned it already, Stan, that their deal in Tampa, uh, they're supposed to, they had a beautiful stadium. I don't know if you saw the artist rendition. Yeah, of I saw the, the renderings for the Ybor, oh, City, the Ybor City Stadium. Yeah, Ybor City, but uh, unfortunately that has fallen through. Uh, I think the people in Tampa wanted the Rays themselves to put up more money, and the Rays wouldn't do it. And uh, so that fell through. So now they're back to St. Pete, where the lease runs out in 2027. And as you get closer, uh, there's less and less money to buy out the lease. It will cost you less to do so. Yeah. And maybe then uh, one of the, the Tampa Bay Rays would think about moving. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say that it happens, but if they would go to Montreal... Uh, that, that'd be perfect. I mean, they'd, they'd be, uh, you know, the rivals of the Rays in the safe division. Right. There's a lot of Red Sox fans up in Montreal to begin with, even before they had uh, Major League Baseball years ago. Uh, the Yankees would be in the division, and, of course, the Orioles would be, too. So that, it'd be a, a stronger division to, uh, as far as I'm sure the people in Montreal would get behind the team more so than they did um, when the team left. Sure. And the reason why they left, Stan, you know, and Craig, you know, uh, in 94, the strike came. Yep. The Expos were in first place. I think they had a six-game lead on the Braves. Uh, they were obviously the best team in the uh, National League. The strike came, blew up the season. Montreal fans never came back after that. Yeah, yeah, I, I know that well. So tell me what kind of city Montreal is 
and how how much you think it would embrace the chance at Major League Baseball again? And can I piggyback, well, uh, can I piggyback on Stan's question? Just sure. uh, you know, answer that. But also, what you said about right now, Olympic Stadium is in the east side of the town, and how yeah. important it is to have that stadium if there were to be a, a team go up there to have it in downtown Montreal. Yeah, that I think that was the original mistake, or one of them that uh, uh, the city made. They built Olympic Stadium on the east side of town. Now, most of the fans, in uh, baseball fans in the Montreal area, were west of the city, not east of the city. Okay. So a lot of these fans would go into work downtown, but they didn't want to travel all the way out east and then have to travel through downtown all the way back out west again to their home. And that's one reason why they didn't go to the games. Uh, the majority of the, the fans were in the uh, western section of the city or or even the western suburbs. So that that was a mistake as far as where the stadium was placed to begin with. Although they had the land open, they wanted to develop the eastern side of the city or east of the city. Uh, but as far as baseball was concerned, now it worked for the Olympics, but it didn't work for baseball. And that's why they would uh, build a new stadium downtown. Hopefully, uh, you know, I've heard... I've heard that uh, they want an open-air stadium. That would be a definite mistake. They, they need a dome up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Expo's uh, Olympic Stadium was not a dome, correct? It was, it was yes, a, yes, yeah, it was, was but right. it, was, it wasn't always functioning. That, that was the problem. Okay, okay. I remember yeah, uh, that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it, it remained open one year. I, uh, our good friend Ross Grindley was playing for, for the Expo, right. and I think he won 20 games one year, but... The roof was open that year. They couldn't get the, uh, the contraption to work that covered the stadium. <laughs> I, I so can't, they had a lot of rain out. I can't wait to see him when the season starts. You know, when you won 20, there was a reason for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, he remains the only 20-game winner in the history of the Expo. So. Yeah, that's funny. That's uh, funny and they had some good pitchers like Steve Rogers, in them, but they didn't make it. Only Ross did. But the thing about it, that particular year, that was the year we played the Pirates in the World Series, the Orioles. Right. And um, I think the Expos had to play something like six or eight doubleheaders in September, and that just blew up their chances. Yeah. I mean, you really were out of pitching staff, and uh, they, they just couldn't contend. But the, the pitchers were worn out, and uh, that's why the Pirates, one of the reasons why the Pirates were able to beat them, besides the fact that the Pirates were a good team. We're talking with Ken Singleton, former Baltimore Oriole, New York Yankees broadcaster, and Ken I want to turn to uh, to the Yankees and their offseason mm-hmm. to date, but I do want to ask you, you were one of the 15 or 18 participants that were at the uh, evening with the 1983 Baltimore Orioles. Did you have yeah. a good time seeing uh, as many people uh, as was, were there? It, it was fantastic. Uh, we had a good turnout. I mean, 900 uh, strong, 900 strong. Really, at the Renaissance, that, that, yep. that was a very good turnout. Uh, a lot of the guys made it. Some of them couldn't uh, for various reasons, uh, you know. But it was good to see everybody. I hadn't seen John Shelby or his wife in a long time. But it was good to see T Bone, and of course, all the guys that live around here that uh, you know always hang out with. Tippy, Tippy Martinez had just gotten out of the hospital. It was good to see him. Uh, and Scott McGregor, of course. Uh, uh, Richie Dower, who had uh, you know almost passed away last yep. year. It was good to see him in good health. Um, it, it was just fantastic. I, I really enjoyed it. It's always good uh, when you see the guys again. I mean, we're a lot older now. Uh, sometimes uh, there, there are guys who, you know, aren't around anymore. Unfortunately, they've passed away. And, uh, you know, but it brings back memories of uh, those days. And that, 
that world championship team, they'll never be able to take that memory away from me. That, that was a fantastic year. Hey, Kenny, I asked, uh, I was emceeing that with Scott Garceau, and mm-hmm. I asked Shelby. You did a great job, Stan. Thank you great very job. much. It meant a lot to me to be asked to do that. Uh, it was my first year on the radio, really. But I asked T-Bone Shelby the question, and I didn't really know the answer. I just had a gut feeling that Al Bumbry always mentored him or appreciated uh-huh. him. And I asked him the question, what did Bumbry mean to you in the way he accepted you? And I got much more than I expected. He told the story in spring training where after one particular game or workout, Bumbry called him over and said, I want to talk to you. And Shelby said, oh, my God, he wants to talk to me. And, <laughs> and he thought he was going to get a tongue lashing or a, hey, this is my job, you're not here. He, he said that Bumbry said to him, you can help this team. You've just got to really use your gifts out on a baseball field because there's a lot you can do, and I'm behind you. Um, Al Bumbry, what kind of leader was he on a baseball team, Kenny? Uh, well, I, I think even before B got to uh, uh, into pro baseball, you got to remember he was a lieutenant in the Army. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, in Vietnam. Uh, he, uh, he led people before. So, And, and Al is... Uh, to me, he's kind of a no-nonsense guy. You you want to play baseball the right way around Al. Mm-hmm. And uh, he will help you. And right now, he uh, he gives hitting lessons to kids. That's one of the things that he does. And uh, I, I think that doesn't surprise me. Uh, if you knew the guys on that team, Stan, I know you did. Craig, yep. you did too. It was all about winning games. Oh, I yeah. Mean, up to that point, uh, I think we, we had uh, the 10 years I was at the Orioles, we had more wins than any other record. Uh, any other team in the regular season, we got the couple of World Series, and of course we were still it, in those days. We were still stung by the fact that we had uh, lost the World Series in '79 after being up uh, uh, three games and one. And you know, some something that you saw then that you probably wouldn't see now or you don't see very often. We had 15 of the same players on the team in 1983 that we had had in '79. That's pretty, and remarkable. that's because yeah. we were able to come close every year and be a factor in the race. So there was no reason really to break up the team. Now, after 83, I think we all realized, you know, we were getting older, and we better get this done, and we did. Uh, but shortly thereafter, a lot of guys were gone. Well, a lot. And, uh, I know a lot of people who were with that team always have, have told myself and Stan that, you know, once we lost that last weekend of the Brewers in 82 on the final game oh. of the regular, after taking the first three games, including the doubleheader on Friday night, uh, they said that, you know, once that happened, whether Earl came back or not, they, they knew it wasn't going to be a situation <laughs> where we were going to lose the World Series the next year. They knew they were going to get there, and they knew they were going to win it. it you know, that, that's a good point, and uh, I've told people this many times, that even after losing the World Series in 79, when we lost in the seventh game, to me the most disappointing loss I'd ever been part of was that last day in 82 because we didn't make it to the playoffs because of that. At least in 79, we were in the World Series. Yep. But uh, in 82, we didn't. I, I thought in 83, we had more hardships than we had in 82. I think we had more injuries. Uh, but it, it seemed to be something wasn't going to deter us, that we were going to put this over the top. And uh, when Scotty pitched that shutout in Philadelphia in the fifth game, uh, if you all remember the Phillies won the first game. We won the next four. And I still think, if I'm not mistaken, we are the last team uh, in 83 to win the World Series by sweeping in the imposing city. I, right. I don't think that that hasn't happened since. And 
certainly it's not easy to do, um, but we got it done. And uh, you know, that's an, another thing to add to that World Series championship that year. I know it was a long time ago, but nobody is able to uh, equal that feat since. Well, one of the things that interleague play has allowed is to to kind of dig up some old reunion type type weekends and things of that nature. And back in '09, they wound up having the 30th anniversary of of the Orioles. No, of the Orioles Pirates. Right, and a lot of people were down in that auxiliary clubhouse singing. And you know, I said to Earl during the little media session there. I said to Earl, I said, you know, you were up there, Flanagan, Palmer, McGregor, in that order. I said, did you ever think you'd lose that World Series? I said, and then number one, that's the first thing. Number two, did you ever think you'd go two for 28 with runners in scoring position from games five through seven? And Earl looked up at me and he goes, two for 28 or whatever. He said, ah, Jesus, thanks for reminding me. (laughs) Uh, you know, I, I think Earl is the sorest loser I've ever known. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I can see where maybe he didn't know it was two for 28, but, uh, you know, that I guess the Pirates' real pitching staff really got it, got it going. I yeah. just, uh, and plus, Willie Stargell wouldn't let him lose. That was another thing, too. I'll still remember uh, that home run in the seventh game when he hit it off of Scott McGregor, yeah. and he basically, I mean, it wasn't that bad a pitch, but he golfed the ball out of the stadium. Over- and, well, you know, here's a guy hit almost 500 home runs. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. You know what? I don't think people realize, if you look at the film, and I know it's it's not HD or anything like that, and it was you know fairly dark out there, but I came close to catching that ball. And, really? Uh, I, yeah. I, I think it, it's right in front of the Pirate bullpen beyond the – and uh, even guys nowadays on the Pirates that I see every once in a while that were out in the bullpen, they said people don't realize how close you came to catching that. Mm. And I – because I gave it my best try – I got up on the fence, but I couldn't quite reach. It was about a foot, maybe a foot and a half, maybe two feet out of my reach. And it, it, it went, went over the fence for a home run. Yeah, McGregor pitched an incredible game that night, except for yeah. that home yeah. run. And, of course, the Orioles had the early lead on a home run off the bat of Rich Dower. And then, speaking of uh, golfing it, remember Eddie Murray, I think, was in the bottom of the seventh or eighth. I think it was the seventh off of Tecolvi. Uh, yeah, had one, and Dave Parker was able to keep it in the house uh, without yeah. even jumping um, for it. If, if you remember correctly, you know I batted in front of Eddie, and they walked me intentionally to get to Eddie, that's which right. I thought was that's it, right. You know, either way, we're gonna we, we might yeah. get you. That's and Eddie hit a rope. And back then, Memorial Stadium, the Colts had played, I believe, and the field wasn't in particularly good shape. We had a lot of rain. It was cold. That was that was the best weather night of the World Series. I mean, the, the opening game got snowed out. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember yeah, that. So we, um, uh, Parker slipped in his pursuit of the ball, almost fell down with the bases loaded. He regained his footing. Parker's a great player, great right fielder. Yep. And, and he was able to make the catch, but barely. And uh, that, that was kind of our last hope. Um, you know, I had faith that Eddie was going to hit something hard. He did. Yeah, he did. And... Um, uh, I, I think to that point, he hadn't had a good World Series. He didn't have many hits. And I, I know I had 10 hits in the World Series, and I think that's why uh, they walked me intentionally to get to him, which, you know, maybe, uh, you know, years from now, or, you know, I, when I got grandkids now, I can tell them, you know, they walked me once to get to Eddie Murray in the World <laughs> Series. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, though, with Eddie, in that that World Series, everybody came out of it, and, uh, you know, that postseason, everybody's saying, well, you know, 
Eddie, Eddie didn't really come through in the clutch and things of that nature, but I'll tell you what, 83 really turned that all around. With the oh, yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Uh, well, if, if you say two for 28, he wasn't the only one who didn't yeah, come through. Yeah, that's true. Out. Yeah, but in, in 83, the last game, uh, you know, Scotty pitched a brilliant shutout, but, uh, you know, Eddie Murray became Eddie Murray. He wasn't having a particularly good World Series that series either, but uh, in that fifth game, he was Eddie Murray, and he hit the two home runs. And, uh, you know, Dempsey hit one, too. And Dempsey, of course, was the MVP. But uh, it was all over. I thought we were, were vindicated as a team after losing in 79. We got a second chance, and we made the most of it. Uh, I, you know, I have lifelong memories with these with my teammates. Um, it's, that will never go away. You know, and- it's... You know, the, the money's long been spent, but we all have the rings. So, <laughs> you know, Kenny, that, that home run that Eddie, the second one that he hit, uh, went right off of his name on the scoreboard. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Uh, in those days, they didn't have the, uh, you know, the HD pictures of the players on the scoreboards like they have now. Uh, they had, like, uh, caricatures. Yeah. And, uh, and his name was right next to it. And uh, his statistics and... Um, of course, he had a great year that year. Cal won the MVP. Uh, you could have gone either way. Either one of them would have won. But I, I, I think Eddie's relationship with the press didn't endear him to, to getting MVP votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he didn't win it. But uh, the fact is that he was he was the MVP that day, although Dempsey was for the series, uh, and rightly so. Rick, Rick had a great series. Uh, in fact, <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember his quote. He said, he said, 13 years in the big leagues, and I've never been hot until this week. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's and, a and good he one. picked the right week. Hey, so, Kenny, uh, Kenny, let me ask yeah. you this. You're getting ready for another year with the Yankees uh, in the broadcast yeah. booth. I know it's going to be uh, kind of a limited schedule for you, but uh, a lot of talk uh-huh. about now Manny Machado. He's now Ken Singleton's finally a role player. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? By um, his own choice, yeah. But uh, Manny, Manny Machado, a couple of stories in the last uh, 24 hours uh, saying that it's more than likely he's going to wind up a Yankee. What do you think of that? Uh, well, there's a need for Manny uh, in New York uh, with uh, Gregorius going to be out for at least half the year. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Didi Gregorius to me is one of the most underrated players in the league. You have a shortstop going to hit 25-plus home runs. He plays a great shortstop. Um, the Yankees are going to miss his left-handed bat, in particular at Yankee Stadium. Uh, so there's a need for Manny to play shortstop. But I will say this, when Didi comes back, Didi's going to play short. Yeah, and he's um, going to have to move to third, yeah. Manny, Manny will move to third. Now, I don't know what that means for a young Miguel Andujar, who I thought should have been the MVP of the rookie, rookie of the year. year. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah uh, he played a lot more than Otani did. I know that as far as marketing is concerned, Otani is a big, a big time as far as marketing, you know, not only with the Angels, uh, but, you know, and Duhar's with the Yankees. <laughs> uh, so I, I think in Japan, uh, he, he would have been, uh, although he's big time in Japan, he's even bigger now that he won Rookie of the Year. And, uh, of course, being a two-way player like he is, I can see that being a reason why they, they gave him the award, although I still think that Ann Duhar deserved it after, you know, all the year he had with the Yankees, and for some parts of the year he carried the team, uh, particularly when Judge was out. So uh, I, I just think that uh, uh, it's going to be interesting if Manny comes to the Yankees. Uh, I, I think that uh, I know that they had that 90-minute meeting in New York. The Yankees took him out to dinner. Uh, I know he has a great relationship with Alex Rodriguez, who who is now an advisor to uh, uh, 
the, the owner of the team. So I, I think all of that plays into it. The Yankees certainly have the money. Uh, I don't even know if they're going to make the biggest offer. But uh, I, I think that uh, from Manny's standpoint, uh, joining the Yankees, the Yankees always go for it. They always try and win. You know how that's going to. Uh, you know how that's going to play down here in Baltimore. <laughs> yeah, I know. you know what? The, the Orioles open in New York this year. Yeah, yep, that's yep. right. And yep. in the second week of the season, the Yankees come here. Yeah. So it, it will be interesting to see if he's with the Yankees. See what kind of reception he gets back here in Baltimore. I'm not so. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you know when you play for the Yankees. Uh, the Yankee fans, you help them win. That's all they think about. Yeah. You know, they, Kenny, they want to win. Kenny, before and, uh, we before we let you go, uh, uh-huh. Andohar, what about simply if they do sign Machado? Because there's all these rumors that they'll then use Andohar to to get a pitcher and all that. I'd hate to give up talent like Andohar. What about simply uh, starting to, in spring training, playing him some at first base? You, you know that they've, I've heard that, Stan. Uh, uh, they've had uh, Greg Bird the last couple of years. Has had a lot of injuries. Certainly didn't play to the when he got it, when he was uh, when he was okay to play. He certainly didn't live up to his billing. Uh, a couple of years ago in spring training, he had eight home runs in spring training, had 22 hits and 17 of them for extra bases, and it looked like man, the Yankees have a left-handed hitter. Yankee Stadium mm-hmm. plays pretty good defense, but uh, shortly thereafter, he was injured. He's had about three surgeries. And he just hasn't performed the way the Yankees would like, and lost his job to Luke Voigt at the end of the year. Yeah. And Voigt, Voigt played very well. Yes, yeah. 10, 10, 11 home runs within the space of two months. But I think he had two in a game down here at Camden Yards to beat the Orioles. Yes, he did. And one was in extra innings. So I, I think that uh, Voigt's going to get if Voigt's going to get a chance to take the job, but the Yankees are really right-handed, and it, to me. And Duhar, you're right. I hate to give up on a young talent. They'd have to really think hard about if they're going to trade them, what they're going to get. It'd have to be a you know big time pitcher that could really help them. And uh, you know, Sabathia, get down there again. This is going to be his last year. Yep. And he, he's the fifth starter. And um, if if he can have a decent year, it's if he can if he pitches like he did last year, I think the Yankees will be okay. All right. Uh, they'll they'll be all right. Kenny, will will. We appreciate your coming on. I'm going to try and grab you for a TV show one night before spring training starts. We'll see if we can make that happen. But appreciate your time today. Guys, the season is uh, rapidly coming upon us. I, I usually don't start thinking about baseball again until January 1st, and that's right around the corner. Or until we, have, or until we have you on the show. Happy, <laughs> okay. happy, healthy New Year to you and your wife. Thank you very much, Dan. Take care, guys. All right. It's there, be there you really, go. Really interesting to see what happens with CC Sabathia this year. He had the heart surgery, yep. had the stent put in, uh, and he was, you know, going through a normal workout when he felt some discomfort. Yep. So it'll be very interesting to see how all that plays out for them this year. All right, Craig, let's tell folks a little bit about uh, New Year's Eve at the Costas Inn. Well, it's coming up, uh, obviously, on the 31st, and it's going to be a big night. Comes Cost- up, ironically, it comes up every year on the uh, 31st. Every, every year on the 31st. And uh, it'll be a special night there at the Costas Inn that night because the Rat Pack will be there. And uh, they truly are the best three-piece band in this area. You won't want to miss it. And we'll ring in the new year uh, at midnight. But uh, just the, the, the entire atmosphere at the Costas Inn uh, and the specials that they have on the menu throughout the week. Crab cake night on Monday, rib night on Tuesday. Steak night on Wednesday. That's your favorite Lobster night. night on Thursday. And then Jane can leave you home and go get lobster on <laughs> 
Thursday night. And uh, just great specials throughout the week at the Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. And uh, you, you may see Nick and myself sing on New Year's Eve. Who knows? Wow. That's that's a reason that's a scary. to stay home. <laughs> that's a reason to stay home. All right. Hey, before we uh, hear the other commercials, I want to remind you that if you want Chick-fil-A on Sundays, you may have to act today. With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with the Chick-fil-A catering tray. Perfect for tailgating, birthdays, office, or holiday parties. One-third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cater your holiday party at home, at the office, or as that contribution you make to your friend's party. Take the nugget platter. I guarantee your friends will eat every bite. Enough with the meatballs and a crock pot. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cook it, pack it, and if you'd like, deliver it. Sandwiches, sliders, waffle fries, desserts, even breakfast. Have you tried the Chick-fil-A chicken minis? Delicious. You have enough to do. Don't add more cooking. For not only will your catering platter be sensational, but your home will smell amazing and you won't be exhausted by the time your party starts. Order online or through your Chick-fil-A app. If you need help, ask Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. He's been there for 150 years. He knows how to do everything. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, for the holidays, you're welcome. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, Respect is earned daily, and now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and post-game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime and he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard post-game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local Turtle. Pressbox's annual Best of Baltimore Sports Double Issue is now available. Presented by Maryland Sports Commission. This issue recognizes UMBC basketball's Ryan Odom and Jarris Lyles as our local sports persons of the year. Plus 60 more are in the spotlight as we look at the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
This is former Trip AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. Well, we are back on the bat around. Stan the Fan and Craig Heist are here on this Saturday. And uh, we just finished with one actuarial, uh, outfielder Ken Singleton. Uh, and now joining us is uh, infielder and shortstop extraordinaire, the man that allowed the Orioles to move Cal Ripken from short to third, and that is Mike Bordick of the Masson Broadcast Booth. Mike, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Good morning. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. All the same to you, my friend. Thank you. Mike, last time uh, we we had a narrative going uh, a couple times we talked this summer that we asked whether you'd be interested in managing the Baltimore Oriole baseball team. And the first time, I think you, like, really poo-pooed it because it was early in the year. Uh, But then as the season wore on and you kind of sensed that Buck wasn't going to be back, you sort of were open to that. Uh, did you ever enter into any discussions with Mike Elias or the new regime uh, about your candidacy? I actually I, I sent an email yep. to uh, Mike Elias, and he was uh, very open and, and and prompt, and basically said that he was going to be looking outside the organization. Okay. So I appreciated. Uh, his honesty and candor and and uh, understood you know why he wanted to uh, head in that direction and so i'm excited about you know the new hirings and and uh just a fresh new look right for the orioles you know there's been a lot of talk the past couple weeks and and brandon hyde certainly hasn't sort of dismissed it but there was some talk about whether or not they'd consider some of the old coaching staff and at least the early returns are uh, the two names we do know is catching instructor uh, Tim Cousins or Cousins, uh, who he worked with in the Cub organization, and Jose Flores, who he also worked in the Cubs organization with, who was last year uh, Gabe Kapler's first base coach. So so far, the look is outside the organization. Can you talk a little bit about the pros and the cons of? going outside the organization and perhaps maybe still trying to get one guy that's familiar with what's been going on here? Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, it's beneficial, obviously, if you have some people that have been around the organization. I, I think just to help give familiarity and, and help, uh, you would think, to help everybody kind of get off on the right foot and understanding a little bit, give them a, a, a lead in the evaluation process on, on especially some players and maybe how to handle them. But I, I just, I think, um, obviously, from the get-go, Mike Elias wanted just a fresh new look in the organization, a, a fresh feel. Um, and I think there's probably going to be changes, you know, throughout in the minor leagues as well as far as uh, the message that 
that they want to send and, and, and promote. And I think you have to respect that. You also have to respect the fact that, uh, you know, the Angelos has made this type of commitment and thought that there was such a need for the whole organization to really to re- get regrouped and revamped uh, in a major way. So, so obviously, I mean, there's going to be a little time, obviously, to let the dust settle with everything. But, uh, you know, obviously, I think it's a smart group of people and, and the ability to evaluate and recognize and, and understand what players are, about, are all about is really the, the key to, to any successful manager and general manager. You, you have to know your players. So their goal um, as far as bringing a whole new staff in, it, you know, is the anticipation and expectation that they're going to be able to communicate well the message that they want to give these uh, the players and, sh- and, and hopefully get everybody pulling the same way. You know, when you get, I don't care what talent level you have, if everybody's going in the right direction and everybody's picking each other up, um, there's going to be success. And, you know, it's just going to make for a positive environment. And that's the goal here with Brandon Hyde and Mike Elias. And, and I know some of the guys, like myself included, that'll be, you know, on the fringe to some degree. Um, I, I support that. I mean, sure, I think it hurts the, you know, just the, in your heart um, for the guys that have been here. You say the dedication that the coaching staff had, uh, the old Oriole coaches, and, and uh, you know, you hope things turn out well for them. I know it's tough. Nowadays yep. there's a big turnover, um, but there's a lot of good people that, you know, deserve to have opportunities um, in the baseball industry and to help uh, continue to develop good players. Hey, Mike, the game has changed so much over the course of the last 30 to 40 years, but one of the strengths of the old Orioles was the fact that throughout the minor league system, the game was taught the same way to each and every player. Now, you know, basically the, the, the what they used to call the Oriole way with Elias being hired and him bringing on Brandon Hyde, both of these guys talked about this at their press conferences, how they want the uniformity within the organization to take place with all players that, as you said, being on the same page. How important is that now in this day and age of baseball as opposed to maybe when you played or even a little bit before that, in terms of the continuity and in terms of making sure everybody's on the same page, being taught the game the right way? Yeah, well, I think it's crucial importance, and I think it always has been. You know, anytime you, you have an organization, um, you're going to want consistency and, and a consistent message and continuity from top to bottom. And, you know, I think we've talked about this before. I was lucky enough to come up with the Oakland A's that, that really had that. And, and at the time, they were considered one of the better organizations in the game and really type of organization that other organizations tried to, uh, you know, exemplify. So, you know, y- you need that. You really do from top to bottom. And I think something that bodes very well, obviously, for the Orioles, the fact that, that Mike Elias has a scouting background. And I, I think the Orioles have been criticized, maybe unjustly, but... Um, some of the drafts that they've had. I know they've had to do 
do some trading along the way, and we've lost some of the top draft arms anyway. But, um, you know, I think Elias has a good feel and track record there. So signing quality players so you get a good feel uh, through the scouting department on the character, the makeup of these guys, and, and can you develop? Will they develop for you? Well, you know, because it only takes a couple bad apples, right, to ruin uh, something that you have great intentions for. So I think the character of players really plays into this type of philosophy and um, something that players understand. So it's got to be basically pretty simple stuff, I think. And at the bottom line really has got to be winning. But My- also understanding that there has to be player development yeah. at, at every level. So yeah, I yeah. think that kind of bodes well from single A up through the big leagues, the fact that if you're able to be coached and, and you prove that, you know, you should be able to rise through the minor leagues, I mean, you got to give those kids the opportunities, and I think that's what's, what you're going to see. Guys that can make the jumps, show consistency, they're going to get opportunities in the big leagues. I don't know that it's going to be more just the, the top picks. I think everybody's on the same page now. Mike, one of the things, and you were at the press conference where Brandon Hyde's uh, hiring was announced, and he used a phrase which I think surprised some, shocked some, that even the Cubs in their World Series year, there was a lot of teaching of young players at the big league level. And that's something you haven't heard that much talked about. And I look at the first two coaches, and both of them, in addition to Brandon Hyde, all three of them, Cousins, Flores, and Brandon Hyde, have extensive backgrounds in player development. At the big league level, what are we talking about? What kinds of things are being taught at that point? Well, ultimately, it's just consistency. Establishing proper work routines and staying with that type of plan. I think uh, when a team kind of loses that, guidance that Mm -hmm. leadership which typically is on the shoulders of the veteran players um you know if if you don't have that type of work atmosphere where it's fun to come in and and see your best players you know taking extra work getting their ground balls the right way getting fly balls spending their time in the batting cage just trying to make themselves better Mm -hmm. every day you know if if that's happening it's going to be a great place to play. It's going to be a great working environment, and that's the goal of Brandon Hyde. But the the key, I think, is to have your your more established players, the veteran guys, have that type of makeup, have that character. I mean, we saw it with Adam Jones. Adam Jones, when he was leading this team, you know, he was the guy hustling down the line. He was the guy in the batting cage. He was the guy getting on the younger players. <clears throat> And then I think there was a transition where, unfortunately, you know, Adam maybe lost a step and Manny started emerging as maybe the better player, one mm-hmm. of the top players, obviously, in, in all of baseball. And I think Adam kind of said, all right, let the top dog lead the way. And Manny certainly didn't have that type of uh, leadership characteristic that Adam Jones did. So that's where there's inconsistency. So if you can keep guys on the same page and have your veterans showing them the right way and maybe even jumping on some young guys, keeping them on that, you know, on that path to the championship, then good things can, can 
certainly happen. But player development at the major league level, you know, I, it, it's a must, but it's basically just continuing to establish routine, keeping guys positive, and understanding the ups and downs of a 162-game season. You know, you really have to understand that, <laughs> most importantly. I, I look at the uh, Houston Astros, and I look at how when they, when they made trades for players, the players came over there, and I'm talking mostly about three in particular deals, Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Ryan Presley. Now, all three were pitchers, uh, but I'm sure we could find some examples of batters. They seem to not only acquire good talent, but the talent that they think they have a way to bring more out of them. Do you think there is a way for the analytics and teaching to work with getting Chris Davis straightened out somewhat? I'm not saying we'll ever get him back to 50 and 115 again, uh, but do you think that they might have some ideas that if he's open to uh, might help him reestablish himself? Well, I I would hope so. Yeah. You know, I, I think for, for Chris, I think it's just more of uh, harnessing the mental game. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, you know, that's part of player development too. And, and even veteran players go through down times. Now, obviously, Davis is trending the last couple of years downward, but it's unbelievable how much confidence plays into the game of baseball. You know, and, and I think, Chris has that ability because I saw him flip out home runs just like you guys did with one hand when he was yeah when he was Crush Davis when he was walking up there as the, the best power hitter in the American League sticking his chest out and you know just flipping bad balls out of the ballpark so he has that ability he might not be that prototypical you know perfect swing every time but he certainly has the ability to run into 40 balls and hit 40 home runs. Well, I'm encouraged. Know? I'm encouraged when we heard that both Elias and, and you know and some of the others in the organization talk about you know we want to find out this spring if we can fix Chris Davis and I I still think there's a quite the possibility that can happen. I'm not certainly going to give up on him in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Well, you can't. And like I said, man. If, it, it's really just your yeah, how you hold yourself mentally. Yeah. You know, how, can you hold yourself accountable as far as keeping true to your work habits? And when times go tough, you can't go reaching for different things all the time. But it's all part of just that that human nature thing that baseball players go through, and every guy has done that. Unfortunately, you know, Chris just got himself into a a rut uh, that he just couldn't get out of, and and unfortunately as well. You know, he was public about it. He, he let it yeah, be known. Yeah. He would tell people. And that just, you know, I don't know, in some ways that that might have made it even tougher because everybody could feel his pain, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Man, oh, man. Well, you admire the honesty for sure, uh, but, y- you know, you have to just wonder with the lack of production, so that weighs on him. The fact that the contract is there, and I'm sure that's weighing on him, and the fact that he feels like he's not earning the contract that he signed, uh, that, that, that's a lot to carry around with you. Let me just jump in and ask you a question. Of course, it was a bit self-serving of Scott Boris, 
But at the same time, Chris was struggling at like the 165 level as a batting average, which is unbelievable. Uh, Bryce Harper was struggling at around 225, 230. And Scott Boris, who represents both of them and some other power left-handed hitters, came out and said that baseball should really do something about the shift because it was discriminatory, uh, particularly against left-hand power hitters. My point in asking you this, Mike, is how much does that play on your head where Chris Davis, maybe if he's batting 220 or 230, isn't pressing as much as hitting 165, 170, and that uh, my point being that the shifts cause that batting average partly to be that low. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, it, that's part of the mental challenge of the game. Yeah. Do, you, do you have the ability to make those adjustments? Now, for Boris to come out and say that's discriminatory against the left-handed hitters, come on, man. It's baseball. Make the adjustment. That's what it's all about. Right. If you can't make the adjustment at the major league level, you're not a major league player, period. That, that's why it's such a special place to be. Right. Now, listen to me. I hit 130 for two months in the big leagues when I first came over here to the, to the Orioles, and it was pressure-induced, mm-hmm. self-induced pressure. You know, because I was a contact guy anyway. Oh, we remember. So we remember. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's self-induced, yeah. I'm telling you. Every, every player that's played in the major leagues has had so many at-bats, so many ground balls. It's how do you handle the stresses that come, which are even more powerful now with the social media. If you read that stuff, mm-hmm. if you get involved with it, it's you're just gonna it's gonna bounce around in your head, and and it's too foggy. You need clarity as an offensive player. You got to see the ball. You got to hit the ball. You can't think about you know trying to get out of a, a slump or anything like that with one swing of the bat. There just has to be consistency. That's why routine is so important in this game. I mean, it is critical um, in all facets. Hey, Mike, let me ask you this real quick. We've known you over the last few years to be uh, down on the field with the club and, you know, taking grounders, helping guys out. Will you still continue in that capacity or not? I hope so. I mean, I would love to. I mean, ultimately, I think my goal is to get back on the field. I, I mean, I'm a teacher by trade. That's what I went to college for. So I love you know, helping, instructing. I've learned from a lot of great managers and coaches. I was fortunate enough to be around, you know, Buck and uh, Bobby Dickerson for the last eight years. So I, I've learned, I've learned so much. Um, and I, I mean, I think uh, it's invaluable to have guys that have had experience, uh, especially at the major league level, um, and just understanding really what it takes to uh, raise that bar, you know, I think internally uh, and individually to be able to go out there and perform um, every night. I just think, you know, a lot of guys don't understand what it takes to be that type of consistent major league player. We're talking with Mike Bordick. And, Mike, before we let you go, and we really appreciate your helping us uh, end uh, the, uh, the 2018 year uh, on a good note here by chatting baseball with us. The things you talk about in baseball, in baseball playing, you know, uh, you know, commitment and consistency and effort, were you able to carry those over into your broadcast career? In other words, do you take the same 
pride in how you played the game as to now how you analyze and communicate with fans? Man, I hope so, because I, uh, I don't want to embarrass anybody. That's for darn sure. There's too many good people that work uh, for Masson, mm-hmm. um, our producer, Don, uh, who get, you guys know. I mean, Gary, Jim, Jim Palmer, Jim Hunter, I mean, all those guys. They're, they're such great pros that it would be doing them a huge disservice if I didn't prepare like I always have. And I, and I try to. I try to do you know, just be ready, ready for the game. And uh, I get those same type of emotions. You know, yep. if, I'm, if I'm a little behind, I get anxiety. Uh, I get excited about big series. Hey, it's just part of the competition. So, uh, yeah, I definitely, I thrive on that stuff. And I believe wholeheartedly in, in preparation. I think uh, everybody needs that. It's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to make the comparison. You know, you're you're never the player you were in year one that you are in year five or six. And I think in changing over to broadcasting, there's a growing period. And I think you've come out on the top end of that growing period, Mike. I, yeah, I appreciate you, do, you saying I that. I think you Thanks do a, a, a very very good job at the. Uh, at the game analysis. As opposed to the first two months with the Orioles when you were hitting 130. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> hey, we appreciate it once again, and we'll look forward to seeing you probably at FanFest in a couple weeks, all right? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy, happy, healthy, New happy healthy New Year to you and your family. Yeah, you too. All right, there you go. Craig, let's tell our uh, folks a little bit about uh, Big Bats. Big Bats in Stevensville, Maryland, across the Bay Bridge on the Eastern Shore. And uh, you'll... 216 St. Clair Place. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and the way you but... get there, if you're crossing the Bay Bridge, heading down to the shore is to uh, take that first exit once you get across the bridge, uh, the Stevensville exit. You go up to the top at the stoplight and hang a left. And Big Bats is down uh, at St. Clair Place right about uh, about a quarter mile down the road on the right-hand side. Great grub, great bar food, and uh, theme rooms within the entire restaurant area there. They uh, have a great Orioles, which I in just I would advise anybody that goes to Big Bats to check out that room. Lots of memorabilia hanging on the wall and a lot of what we were talking about uh, today. Yeah. The 79 series, yep, sure. the 66 series, the first time that the Orioles won the World Series, four straight over the Dodgers. Nobody thought that was going to happen. It's all over there. And a great place to watch the Caps games, the Wizards games, the, the Bowl games, uh, tomorrow's Redskins game or Ravens game. Uh, they got them all on the TVs there t- at t- Big Bats. Today will be a big day in there with both of the uh, semifinal games of the national yeah, championship. Yeah, exactly. So great food, great sports, great time. Big bats. Now let me tell you about pro- press boxes. Project Game Day at halftime and post game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Boxes Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard. Post game. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. Press boxes, Project Game Day, Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports on at halftime tomorrow and post game tomorrow. 
Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dining orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page. That's at Fans Fantasy. And pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up. And someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our Picks League now at LoopLeague.com. One third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Chick-fil-A on Sundays? With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays, perfect for tailgating, birthdays, office, or holiday parties. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, Respect is earned daily, and now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Sports. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options 
for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Well, we are back on the bat around. Bill Latson coming up at 11.40. Can I leave then or not? Yeah, you can leave for uh, until 11.40. No, no, yeah. I just could. Could I leave when Actually, Latson Actually, Latson told me yesterday when I called him, he said, is Craig doing the show? And I said, yes, he, he'll be here. And he goes, well, all right, I'll do it. He goes, I'd much rather do it when it's just you. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I, that's not surprising at all. Yeah, yeah he doesn't like you much you know, at all. No, and, and the feeling's pretty much mutual, all too. Right. All right. Hey, we wish you uh, all out in our listening audience. We hope you've had a good holiday season and it's capped off by a healthy, happy, safe New Year's Eve. We've got Bill Latson coming up at 1140 and that leaves us some time. And uh, Craig and I were both way too busy to work on getting guests for today's show. So we went back in the archives from about six, six, seven weeks ago. We had an interesting chat with Steve Sparks. He's former, lying again, people. Former big league pitcher, <laughs> former big league pitcher, and um, now a broadcaster for the Houston Astros. Right. And, and we chatted with Steve. And, right. And when he played, he was a knuckleball pitcher as opposed to the knucklehead we have over here. All right. <laughs> Let's hear Steve Sparks, and we'll be back. And we'll close the thing out with Bill Latson. We're joined now by former Major League pitcher. And uh, he was a pretty good pitcher. And if I'm not mistaken, he threw uh, the knuckleball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is uh, Houston Astros broadcaster Steve Sparks. And Steve, am I right? You're one of the last knuckleballers. Yeah, there hasn't been too many since uh, Tim Wakefield and I were the only two in the Major League for for a little while, and then R.A. Dickey, 2012, won the Cy Young Award. But and Steve Wright. Ra- and now, Steve Wright's Steve been Ra- in and out of the rotation with, uh, with Boston, and uh, there might be one or two sprinkled around in the minor league, but uh, this seems like it goes in cycles. You know, when uh, somebody does something real good, you'll start to see an influx of guys starting to throw that pitch again, but uh, I don't think there hasn't been a season for about 70, 80 years where there hasn't been at least one knuckleballer in the league. Well, it's one of those things where you, you, you're around the game a lot and you ask people what's the best approach to hitting a knuckleball, and they always say, wait for it to stop knuckling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of people say uh, when you see it high, let it fly. When, it, when it's low, let it go. Right. Uh, there's some theories, but my theory, and I'll stick to this all day long, and I've talked to other guys, is get on top of home plate, kind of take away that freedom from the pitcher. He doesn't want to hit you. And to get him to try to steer the ball than, rather than just let it go, I think it's your best option to see maybe a worse knuckleball. Yeah, because if you get hit by a knuckleball, it's not going to hurt a whole lot. <laughs> not supposed to. <laughs> well, how did you come to throw the knuckleball? You know what? I, I was in the minor leagues for about six or seven years at one point with the Milwaukee Brewers, the team I got drafted by. And I was having trouble getting out of double A. My, my, my stuff was marginal. And they just thought I was a good candidate to possibly throw one. I hadn't thrown one before. And who taught but, you? Uh, and who taught you? You know what, it was a little bit of trial and error, and then the biggest jump in my uh, advancement came when I got a chance to meet Tom Candiotti. I, I went there uh-huh. with six pages of questions, and I took that information he gave me and went to winter ball in Mexico and threw that pitch every single pitch. I threw it on 3-0. and I threw it on 3-2. and Any situation, I threw that pitch. And once I really committed to that pitch and didn't kind of fall back to my cutter or my fastball or anything else, 
when I really committed to it that winter, that's when I really started to make some big leaps. We're talking with Steve Sparks. He's a broadcaster with the Houston Astros. So let me ask you a question as a segue into the topic of Michael Elias and Sig Mido um, coming to Baltimore. What would they say if, uh, say, Andrew Kashner came to them and said, hey, I'm thinking about trying a knuckleball, or maybe not Kashner, but somebody at the double or triple A level. Would they be in favor of trying that, or would the analytics approach that SIG is so uh, knowledgeable in yeah. tell, tell you whether it could work or not? Well, SIG is fascinated by it. I think he thinks there's a lot of merit to uh, having a pitcher with such a unique and distinctive style to match up against other teams. And you got to remember, as far as a knuckleballer, a lot of times their niche is to eat up a lot of innings. Yeah. And when you eat up a lot of innings, whether you're a starter or a long reliever, whatever the case may be, you're making everybody else better. And Verlander made that that case uh, before the Cy Young Award voting, saying, "You know what? I make, you know, by giving my bullpen rest, I make everybody else that's a little bit better mm-hmm. the next two or three days because our bullpen's fresher because I, I I get deeper into the ball games than a lot of people." So. I feel like that's where the value of a, a good knuckleballer lies. And Sig and Sig Mydell and I have had plenty of conversations. And the one thing that I've noticed between knuckleballers and maybe your everyday pitcher or conventional pitcher is that the temperament has to be much more laid back than those other guys. You have to be very calm, very relaxed when you when you get a chance to meet the Nico brothers or Charlie Huff, Tom Candiotti. Uh, all those guys uh, throughout the years that have really excelled with that pitch, they were very laid back and relaxed. You've got to be that way to be able to throw that pitch when the pressure is mounting. Steve, is it a pitch, and I, and I certainly didn't have you on with the idea of talking about knuckleballs, but I couldn't help it. Is it a pitch that you that only is going to be appropriate for someone like yourself when they're having trouble getting to the next level, or do you think – it could be used almost like how the Astros seem to change Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Ryan Presley, that it could be proactive to take a good pitcher uh, and and turn him into a knuckleballer. I guess yeah. I'm answering my own question because you have it's to commit to it. You have to commit to it, it, though. You do have to commit to it. I, I think that, you know, for the knuckleball, you want to stay behind that pitch. And as a conventional pitcher, you typically want to throw on a downhill plane. Now, okay. Now you mentioned Garrett Cole and Justin Berlander. They love to throw the four-seam fastball above the belt, so you stay behind that pitch a little bit longer. But to go back and forth between mechanics, between the knuckleball and a good downhill pitch, it's totally different. So you're going to have to change your mechanics over and over again. Okay. And I think for the pitcher to, to really commit to a knuckleball, you've got to throw it at least 75%, 80% to really get locked into those mechanics because it's more so mechanical pitch than any other pitch. Steve, i got one more for you before we get to the uh, uh, hiring of Michael Elias and also Sigma Mydell uh, up here in Baltimore to try to turn this uh, franchise around a little bit. In, in mm-hmm. terms of the knuckleball, uh from your playing days as opposed to what I saw growing up, could could you do in your day, and, and even what we see today with some of the guys who throw it, could could guys go on two days rest? I mean, I saw Wilbur Wood yeah. when I was a kid pitch in both ends of a doubleheader and also pitch right. on two days rest. Right, yeah, you can. And 
I think if you do it over and over and over again, then it might catch up with you a little bit. But the, the biggest thing about it, and I would come back on a lot of short days rest or even throw in between starts out of the bullpen uh, when I first got to the big leagues, just out of necessity with Milwaukee. But I think the thing that you don't have to rely on when you come back early is velocity. So as long as you're not injured or anything like that, it's almost just like throwing a side bullpen. And because you're not relying on velocity, it all becomes relative. And you're trying to change speeds with that knuckleball as much as you can, but you've got one comfortable speed, and then you're just going back and forth from that. But uh, it's not like you're trying to sneak a fastball by anybody or, or, or anything like that. When you do throw a fastball, you're not looking for a tank. You want somebody to put it in play, and it's usually somebody who can't take you deep. You know, it's funny, uh, comparing a knuckleball to a submariner, when I went to Orioles Fantasy Camp in 1992, uh, I went as a submarine pitcher. And, oh, yeah. and Grant Jackson pitched picked me, and he said, when I saw you doing that, he said, I knew even in a league like this, it gave me an advantage because you wouldn't have a sore arm. Right, uh, yeah, you can pitch more you often. You can pitch more often. Is it the same case with a knuckleballer because he's not putting quite the stress on the shoulder? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's the case. In, in, you know, if you're somebody like me that made the conversion from a conventional pitcher to a knuckleballer, one of the things you learn, and it took me two or three years to learn is, for your fastball, you don't want to throw it as hard as you can because it tips off the hitter to, to know that it's a different pitch. Mm-hmm. So I learned to back off. Instead of throwing it 87, 88 miles per hour, I learned to throw it 79, 80 miles per hour, and it made it look like I was still throwing a, a knuckleball because I was nice and relaxed, and uh-huh. then you're just trying to locate that pitch. But it's still uh, more effective because you're not tipping off the hitter to, to know that it's a different pitch. And because you're doing that, it's less stress on your own. Steve, what about the two guys that were hired to handle this ball club now? 115 lost season, you bring in Mike, you bring in Sig, and uh, all of a sudden, for a fan base who was just, just totally disgusted by what happened last year, after yeah. this press conference this, this week, uh, the optimism like, like is running uh, unbelievable pretty here, darn yeah. high right now. Yeah, he's very impressed. I was talking about Mike, and you guys are one for two in saying Sig's last name correctly. So Sig Dell, like a Dell computer. Right. Okay, so the both of those hires are, are just, I, c- I couldn't imagine a team that's in the situation that Baltimore's in making better hires. I've gotten the chance to know both of them pretty well the last six, seven years, and they're very organized. They're very sharp. They, they've seen this plan come to fruition. They know what to do. There's going to be mistakes along the way. They understand that. Uh, did, we, did we lose Steve Sparks? Sounds like we lost. Uh, you Steve, go. you there? Am I there? Can yep, you we me? lost you there yep, for we lost about you 20 for a second, seconds. Yep. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, I'll back up just a little bit. But just, just knowing that you have two brilliant guys in a position to give the team clear focus and direction, I think is, it's got to be exciting for the Baltimore fan base. And I've seen that place rock, and we all know what it's like when, it, when baseball is good in Baltimore. It's phenomenal. It's one of the best cities uh, in the league. And I think in two or three years, and hey, I'll tell you something else. One thing that Jeff Luno, the Astros general manager, did, he was crazy transparent about what they were going to do. And, and we all knew it was going to be ugly. It doesn't make it any less mm-hmm. painful. But for a year or two or, or maybe three, 
things aren't going to look really pretty, but they're going to stick to their guns, and they've got a plan in place. And I'm telling you, it's going to it's going to come to fruition. They're smart. They're savvy. They know what to look for. Here's one thing that I, I kind of saw a little bit later, even when they were being so transparent. They're trading off Lance Berkman. They're trading off Roy Oswalt. They're trading Hunter Pence. And some of the guys you get back, they really don't come back to to help you, you know, or or do this turnaround thing. Now, a couple of those guys might might pan out, and they may help you win some games from time to time. But once the team gets really good, one thing I noticed is that the Astros did. Instead of investing in the major league team at at the wrong time, they invested in their analytics. They invested money into the process of of identifying players that can help you win a championship. How can we take this guy from where he is right now and make him a stud? They can do that. that and they, de- they, they spend money in development. It's all about that pipeline, the farm system coming up to, to keep this thing sustained for eight or ten years, and uh, I know Baltimore's going to do it. I would argue that uh, I say bring them on because uh, I would argue it can't get any worse than it was last year. <laughs> it's because you don't know which way you're going. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you really, you really got to narrow things down. It's going to vacillate from time to time. That's okay. But you, gotta, you, you can't sell the fans uh, on something that's not real because they're going to see right through it. And these guys are real. Uh, they're smart. Uh, engaging the press conference. I saw it with Mike uh, on MLB Network the other day, and uh, comes across great. I mean, that's him. He's just genuine, smart. He's affable. Uh, he'll be available. He knows what to do, and uh, uh, he's got the energy and passion to, to, to see it through. Steve Sparks is our guest. He's on the Houston Astros broadcast team. We'll keep him just a couple more minutes. Steve, I asked a question about what the – the, the new energy toward international scouting would look like. And at the tail end of that question, I said, your predecessor made several trades that increased the Orioles' international bonus slot money, which is not renewable every year. So the Orioles are sitting with 4 to $5 million in bonus slot money internationally. And everybody says that once Victor Victor Mesa signed and Gaston signed and we missed them, well, that money's going to waste. I maintain that there's an awful lot of good players in the Dominican, Cuba, and Latin America, and he seemed to agree with me and said there'll be there'll be plenty of opportunities to use that money. There are, and he he was great with the amateur draft identifying talent, and it's just not by what you see with your eyes. And I've, I mean, even as a kind of a crusty guy that played professionally for 19 years, you always want to revert back to what you really know and use your eyes. But what they're... Let me give you an example. I remember as a starting pitcher in the minor leagues, we were in the stands the day before and the day after we started to chart pitches because that was just part of our job Mm -hmm. as a starting pitcher. And we would always see guys throwing 85 miles per hour, belt high. There was always one or two of those guys on your team. And he would blow it right by guys. And if a person like me was to throw that pitch... It would be over the fence. They would knock it out of the ballpark. What I realize today now is is that spin rate really matters because it's an optical illusion to a hitter when it's uh, 
different from the the standard when it deviates from the standard of what typically a, a the pitcher able is able to do when the revolutions are faster it's an optical illusion and they recognize that so maybe that 85 mile per hour fastball looks like 90 91 just because it spins faster they can recognize that when they recognize that a certain player can spin the ball whether it's a slider curveball fastball good example Colin McHugh they got him off of waivers. Never won a game as a major leaguer. He was 0-8 at the time with wow. like a 7 ERA. Wow. And he won 19 games for the Astros a couple of years ago. They can recognize that stuff in, in steel guys, and in, not only in the uh, domestic market, but also overseas. You know, it's interesting, and I heard that, that figure uh, two months ago or something, that Garrett Cole in Pittsburgh for four or five years struck out eight guys in nine innings, and with Houston, he was striking out 12 per nine innings. That's a monstrous right. leap forward. It is. You know, it, it was one of the things that they saw. He, he led or was close to leading the league when he was with the Pirates two seasons ago uh, in home runs. And they just felt like that two-seam fastball was getting in a, in a lot of trouble. Now, it's not the case for everybody. But what they recognized in Garrett, and they saw that with Charlie Morton the season before, is that their four-seam fastball would play a lot better because the revolutions on that pitch uh, garners a lot more swing and miss. And to couple that with his type of breaking stuff, the, the two-seam fastball was you know, one of the first things they, they talked about. You know, they want the player to make the decision, but they, they show them the data. They show mm-hmm. them you know, where they were getting hurt and, and what they feel like they could, could take them to another level. And to those guys' credit, they, they bought in. And they, they, they saw it early in spring training uh, that the Astros were kind of on to something. And uh, it's worked great for both of those pitchers. And I think they're good at recognizing certain pitchers around the league that aren't utilizing their pitches to the best of their ability. You know, you know and we'll let you go. And, and I've got one more question, but one more little statement in between. I think it really hurt a lot of Oriole fans. We kind of knew that the club was behind the times on international scouting and analytics. But when you heard Zach Britton go to New York and say he was shocked by how much more information they were giving him. And Kevin and Gosman, Gosman yeah. in Atlanta, it really yeah. hit home how how lacking we were in those areas. Yeah, you know what I mean? And I think everybody, and Sig's great at this. I mean, you guys will be impressed. I mean, Sig, Sig's not going to get out there out in front a lot. But it, when you get to know him, he's very personable. But he's also um, very curious. And to take it to another level, Sig Dell two seasons ago, went to go coach in short season in the New York Penn League just to get a better feel of what the players are actually going through and what kind of information he can help them with. So he got out of the comfort of his office and his situation and traveled with the team. It was the first base coach through batting practice every day. He's not an athlete. He just went out there to, to learn more about how he can help people. And he went out there for two and a half months at the New York Penn League and uh, got in the trenches and that's, came back better for it. That's but a he's per- always been one of those guys that loves to ask questions to see if uh, that can trigger something in his mind to go in, in different directions. But those guys are always going to challenge each other, those guys that are kind of behind the scenes with the analytics. They want to see how they can gain an advantage. Well, they take over a team that lost 115 last year, 
But having been through what they went through in Houston, the 100 right. lost seasons there, does that make them better equipped yeah, to handle I, I this? So. I would think it does. It has to because you've seen it. You've seen it come to fruition in, in yeah. a world championship. You it's know, kind of like a uh, guy. It's kind of like a guy who gets married and fails, and then he gets married to sex. No, that's not a good example. No, that's not a good example. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds. That sounds personal. <laughs> hey, Steve, I've got one last question for you. Yeah. What will um, uh, Sig Meidel? What will his department look like in terms of the number of people that will be in it? maybe within a year, because we understand they had four or five people here. One of them, pretty good, by the way, an Amherst grad who has joined your team, Sarah Gellis. Uh, but right. what will it look like? Will it be 15 people? Will it be 25 people if they invest what they want to? You know what? I have no idea. Okay. You know, they may have they, they may have different ideas themselves. Now, Sig may say, Hey, Mike, you know, I'd love to hire so-and-so from baseball perspectives. I think he has a lot of creative ideas. I'd like to hire so-and-so from Mattel because I think his business model fits something that I would like to see us push for. I think they'll, they'll pick and choose guys from different fields just to, to get guys in a room who can challenge each other. And whether or not it's 5 or 10 or 15, I have no idea. Okay. But, uh, you know, I think they'll always, they'll always push each other to to be better, and that's what I've always loved about those guys. And, and to think of guys as smart as they are, not feeling like they don't make you feel like they're the smartest guy in the room, even though they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always asking questions, uh, trying to push each other to be better, and and then just down to earth. And, and you know, sometimes for me, you know, it just kind of is a, a dumb jockey. You almost feel intimidated by a guy's intellect, but. For guys like Sid and, and Mike, who's a, an Ivy League or two, they just seem so down to earth and cool about everything. And I'm excited for them, but I'm also excited for Baltimore. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. A guy who was the earliest kind of major league user of really bare bones analytics was a lot of people would say was Earl Weaver with his yeah. with his uh, with his cards, uh, his index right. cards, uh, and the title of his book. His autobiography or biography—it's what you know. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. Mm-hmm. Meaning that you can always learn something, and that's kind of interesting to hear that Mike and Sig kind of treat um, information that way. Right. It's hey, all about obtaining an edge. How you know was uh, How was your trip last weekend? We invited you last weekend. You were out to homecoming at what Oklahoma or Oklahoma State? So it was Father's Weekend at uh, University of Oklahoma. And my, my daughter, who's a sophomore there, is in the same sorority with Dave Dombrowski's daughter, uh, the general manager, obviously, of the Boston yes. Red Sox. Yes. So we get together every year, and he was my general manager when I was with the Tigers, so we've known each other pretty well for a long that, time anyway. That game last but, night with West Virginia reminded me a lot of the Monday night game <laughs> between, yeah. the, between the Rams and, and the That's Chiefs. That's exactly right. Chief, yeah. I mean, just who's going to get the football last or who's going to make a crucial turnover? That's, I think as you watch that unfold, you just felt like, you know, those, those defenses weren't going to stop the offense. Oh, that, it's, it's just a matter of whether or not somebody was going to make a mistake. West Virginia's guy, the, the wideout who just kept blocking on that yeah. run, he just kept blocking the kid out of bounds. And, I mean, it went like five, ten yards out of bounds. That, yeah, that to me, was the ball game. It was. Yeah, it changed the tide, you know, and, you know, games like that, when you have 
two prolific offenses like that, you just can't make those silly mistakes. I appreciate your being on, Steve. I promise next time when I say 15 to 17 minutes, we'll keep it that that short. All right? I'm not sure how long we went, but uh, had a great time. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Appreciate it. Great insights from Steve Sparks. And you know, the great part about that was we didn't realize listening to it how long it was. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, but he's really terrific guy he really is yeah, yeah. and uh, almost as nice a guy as our next guest well i wouldn't go that far i warmly I... <laughs> welcome our good friend from mlb.com um bill latson and bill you and i have become real friends uh-huh. uh, your former friend craig heist is here as well how are you there william i'm doing all right craig thanks for having me yeah thanks, man yeah. how you doing good how, how was your holiday did you have a good holiday it was it was great it was quiet all right. It was great and quiet until the lights went out the other night at LaGuardia when the sky turned blue. <laughs> oh, is that the electrical yeah. the power outage there? Yeah, Kai Edison. It was uh, it was unreal. I mean, like I thought. You remember the show, The Edge of Night? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I thought, what is this? The Edge of Night? I mean, the sky was blue, and so uh, that was uh, the whole deal there, man. So Here's it was, one. It was weird. Here's what many people don't know about Bill Latson. Okay. He is a soap opera buff. And the really? reason I say that, the early years of covering the Nationals, when they came here from Montreal, we would room together a lot of times down in spring training. Mm-hmm. And, and I was a, a big young and the restless guy back then, okay? But, but Latson, Latson would know... All, all, the char- of, all, all of the, the characters, characters from several different <laughs> generations. <laughs> it was great. And we would have discussions like, hey, what do you think he's going to do here? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Boy, that's opened up a side of well, both of you that I was never knew, totally right? unaware but of. But the reason yeah. I was such a, a big fan of The Young and the Restless yeah. was because before my grandmother died, yeah. we would always sit there. If I was over the house or whatever, we would sit there and She'd we would watch. watch. Right, it. exactly. Right, right. Right. All right. That's exciting. Uh, Bill Latson joins us from MLB.com. Bill, uh, I was a general hospital guy at one time. You ever get into that? Yes, I did. I, I started watching it like it started in 1978. See? And uh, the next year, um, Anthony Geary, who played Booth Spencer, yep. uh, started, appeared on the show. So, yeah, I was really into it back then. What was his girlfriend's name? She was gorgeous. The, the... Laura. Laura. Lee Francis. What was her Jeannie Francis? That's her name. Yeah, yeah. She was terrific. She was terrific. <laughs> and you, and, doubted, the, and you head, doubted what I said. And, about the, <laughs> and the head doctor was a former minor league baseball player, wasn't he? Yeah, Steve Berardino. Um, he played Steve Harvey. See, Dr. And, Steve and you, Harvey. And you doubted that. Yeah, this guy's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, not to make light of it, but going from General Hospital, we had you on. Uh, about six weeks ago, I think, and we, for the first time, we talked about a condition that you have right now, uh, Bill. Uh, you have a, a failing kidney and are going to need a uh, kidney transplant, and the obstacle in front of you is pretty difficult because you don't have any matching uh, family members and you have a rare blood type of O negative. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, but, you know, like I've told you, Stan, you know, I'm, I'm keeping a positive attitude. You know, I'm going to the Mayo Clinic uh, in like two months. And, you know, we'll see if, you know, something can happen there. So right. uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully, you know, we can get something done. All right. Well, we're just keeping our keeping you in our thoughts and prayers seriously. We don't mean to be melodramatic about it. 
But if anybody out there knows somebody that's of uh, O negative blood yep. type, um, we, we'd sure appreciate you getting word to us. Uh, Bill, we, we talked a little bit uh, yesterday off the air and said, hey, we'll talk about what's going on in these um, couple big uh, free agents still out there. And I guess we could say that the three biggest free agents are two offensive players in Machado and Harper and left-handed pitcher uh, Dallas Keuchel. And maybe a fourth I'll throw in is uh, closer uh, Craig Kimbrell. What can you tell us about where they might land and timing? Regarding, uh, first of all, let's start with Bryce Harper. I think, without a doubt, you can't help but think that the Dodgers are a leading candidate to acquire his services. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason I say that is that all the trades they've made. You know, they traded Puig. I mean, they traded uh, several people, Kemp. And you can't help but think, okay, uh, maybe they're going to uh, make an effort Find Bryce Harper is not far fetched because Stan Kasten was the owner when the was the president when the Nationals drafted uh, Bryce Harper. Right. So, I mean that would not surprise me. As far as uh, Machado goes, you, you know that's hard to say. I mean, I mean the reports are saying that uh, you know he's you know he saw the White Sox, he saw the uh, Yankees and the Phillies. I don't I don't know. I mean that's a tough one. I mean. You know, where is he going? You can't help but think, you know, maybe he's going to the Yankees. Okay. Well, and for full, for full disclosure, yeah. All right. I'm sitting at home behind the computer the other night. Yeah. And of course, I get the instant message that pops up. Praise God. Praise God. Please let, her, please let Machado come to the Yankees. <laughs> but anyway, go yeah. ahead, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, Yes, I'm a Yankee fan. I've never kept that a secret. But <laughs> yep. I'm looking at re- reality. I, you know, it's, it's tough to say. You would think that he wants to win now. Mm-hmm. And you would think the Yankees would be the first choice. Well, with Didi's okay. situation right now with the Yankees, you would have to think it makes the most sense. And the fact that Harper's, or not Harper, but Machado's always kind of hinted about, you know, what it would be like to play in New York, as is Bryce Harper for that matter. But nonetheless, with Machado, uh, but we had Mike Bordick on, or I'm sorry, Kenny Singleton on earlier today, and uh, he was talking about the fact that, yes, with Didi's situation, it makes all the sense in the world, but when Didi's healthy again, he's, he's going to play shortstop. So Bryce is going to, I mean, uh, Machado's going to have to move over to third base. Right, right. So they, so that's a big decision that that team's going to have to make. And, you know, you talk about Keiko, it seems like with Keiko he's going to have to bring his price down. Right. I mean, I wouldn't give Keiko five years. I wouldn't give him four years even because this is not a power pitcher. You know, he, he, he throws junk. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think his price has to go down in order for him Let me ask you one question about getting back to um, Machado. If you sign Machado and he starts the season at shortstop and you've got Andohar at third, where's your left-handed bats? I know you got Hicks in center as a switch hitter. Uh, um, What's his name? Uh, Gardner. Gardner is a left-handed hitter and left. But then after that, you got Sanchez, you got uh, the the first baseman, um, Luke, uh, the guy they picked up from the Cardinals, Luke. Uh, 
who hit the 11, 12 home runs, is right-handed. Yeah. Uh, oh, the kid from... Yeah, Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt, yeah. Yeah, and then you've got Torres is right-handed, and you've got Stanton and Judge. Aren't you way top-handed, uh, right-handed heavy? I don't think that matters. I really don't think that matters. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, Gardner, first of all, Gardner's not going to play every day. Right. And, uh, you know, then you wonder, okay, you know, would they sign Bryce Harvard for that reason? But, you know, I don't think so. I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. So, I mean, I mean, when it comes to the Yankees, you, you can't, you got to wait to almost opening day to see who the, who, to see what the roster is going to look like. Because um, they're never finished. Well, they're I never don't finished. think, so, though, if they sign Machado in the 30 days or something, that that automatically means they're going to flip Andohar for pitching. Do you think that? It could be. Okay. It could be. You, you just never know. I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, we've heard Brian Cashman say, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. And then he ends up, you know, I think the biggest example when he said Bubba Crosby was going to be their center fielder. And then, oh, before you knew it, they signed Johnny Damon. So, uh, you, I, I got to wait and see until really almost spring training to see what they're going to do. Well, the whole Harper thing, you know, and I'm in agreement with Bill. I can't see that as a fit for them because no, why, would, why would you give him any kind of amount of money or years to play, a position. To, to play first base because right. that's where it would go right. without having a position, number one. but And not only that, a position that he's never played before. Right. No, I see that. Let's um, let's move on to one other player, Kimbrel. Uh, where do you see him being a fit? Well, I mean, this guy could uh, fit anywhere, but for some reason, I see him going back to the Red Sox. I don't see anyone giving him uh, a four or five year deal, especially the second half he had. He had an ERA over five. Yeah, during the second half. So, and yes, he straightened things out during the World Series. No question. But, I mean, I, I think people are going to see, hey, why am I giving, giving this guy a five-year deal? I, I don't see it happening. I just don't see it. Uh, I think he goes back to Boston. Like three years? It could be. It yeah. could be that. But maybe with an option. But, you know, you never know. One more question about Harper and Machado before we move on. Do you see Either of them getting the length and term that had been talked about earlier, or do you think both teams might pay them a larger average salary per year, maybe record-breaking, but try and keep it more like a four- to five-year deal, even with an opt-out after three? As young as they are, I mean, they're both 26. The answer is yes. I see them getting long-term deals. You mean but, like but eight, eight to ten-year deals? Yeah, yeah, but 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 you said something though that's key here. Opt out. Yeah, you know, they, they, you know, with, with both of them, I, I believe there's going to be an opt out with with both of them, and uh, I just don't think it's going to be a straight ten year deal like what the Nationals offered. So um, I, I think there's going to, you're going to have that, and uh, and you're not going to see deferred payments. I don't think we'll see, we'll see, but. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be long-term because of because of how young they are. It's interesting what the Angels are doing. They got Matt Harvey, uh, and, and obviously it'll be interesting to see 
how he and they got Trevor Cahill and, and they got Trevor Cahill, but they also signed Jonathan Lucroy, right? Uh, their catcher to a one year deal now, so he's in the fold. So Brad Osmus very, you know, and and the organization very quietly kind of tooling that team up a little bit. That's been, well, you know, obviously a disappointment over the past few years under Mike Sosha. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, considering the talent they have at short and center field. Yeah, but, but, you know, their problem has not been offense per se. Yeah. It's been pitching. Yeah. So, a I of, mean, a lot of injuries. A lot of injuries on that pitching staff. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, they, they've underperformed. And, it, I mean, and they're taking a chance with Matt Harvey, for example. They, they're going by what he did with the Mets in 2015. And he wasn't bad with the Reds, you know, when, once he got there. But uh, it's a risk. That's a real so, tough. You know, it's a real tough spot for him to come into the American League for the first time, pitch against the DH. I think it's a terrible contract, other than the fact it's one year. You know. You know what I, I think is you know I think it's a good risk. I mean, you, you know, you based it on his potential. Mm-hmm. You know what he did. Uh, you know, a couple years back. So I, I think just for one year. I think it's worth it. I mean, you could always, you know, trade him by the deadline if you're not winning. MLB.com. Bill, we've got about five, six minutes uh, before we uh, get out of here. We had Ken Singleton on, ironically, and he and I and Craig talked a little bit about Montreal. You covered the Expos there for a number of years before they became the Washington Nationals. Uh, With the Rays Stadium deal disintegrating over the last two weeks, in Tampa, and them having to go back to the drawing board with St. Pete, uh, the possibility of a, a transfer of franchise or a move of that franchise, I think, has gone up dramatically. Uh, it won't happen tomorrow or next year, but maybe three or four years down the road. Uh, what kind of baseball town do you think Montreal is primed to be again? Well, um, I'll tell you this. I, I think Montreal is a great baseball town. The one thing that bothered me while I was there was that they always blamed the fans, you know, for the reason the stadium, uh, you know, for the reason the team left. Right. And it, and it was not the fans. I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, like, I was there in 2003 when they were in the pennant race, and I'm telling you, they showed up. It was loud. Um, I mean, I couldn't, be- I couldn't believe it. I- it was one of the best times I ever had. Mm-hmm. And uh, the problem there was, you know, is Corporate Canada willing to give up the money to have, you know, the Expos in Montreal? I mean, that was the biggest problem. Right. And, you know, and hopefully also they need to get a stadium, you know, downtown. You know, they thought they had one downtown near, say, Catherine Street, and it didn't happen. So, I mean, to me, that's the key. It's, it's television money. Uh, I mean, the fans will show. I'm not worried about the fans. It's It's... Everything else, corporate Canada is supporting the team. So. Is this the perfect? Is this the perfect division for them to be in playing? You know, with the rival uh, of the Toronto Blue Jays. Oh uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, why not? Why not? So I mean, and, and they drew the fans even that. So um, when they would play each other. So uh, well, you kind of you kind of reiterated what Singy was saying to us in the terms of. With Olympic Stadium being over east on the, of the, on the east, east of end of the east end of downtown, as opposed to 
in the middle of the city where the stadium should be. Uh, and the fact that he, he said most of your rabid baseball fans are from downtown and also the western end of the town. And what happened is a lot of times they, they didn't want to go and, and go over to Olympic Stadium and then have to worry about getting back cross town to, to, to their homes at night and things of that nature. So that, yeah, that kind of jives with what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, I want to make clear something. Where Olympic Stadium was located, it was not in a bad neighborhood. It mm -hmm. was just a quiet area, and it wasn't downtown. That that because you look, I've I've been there, and uh, it, it wasn't a bad neighborhood at all. It's just that it wasn't downtown. Well, I don't, I don't downtown. think, I don't think he meant like it was in a bad neighborhood. I just think he meant just stretch for people for a stretch for people to get there, and maybe logistically wasn't the best for a lot of people. Right, right. And downtown Montreal, I'm telling you, it is it's not only beautiful, but it is busy, kicking. I mean you you I mean it's really a lot down there. I hear the women are beautiful in Montreal. Did you find that the case, Bill? Uh yes, I do believe that. So yeah. <laughs> All right. That's a yes. That's that would that's be a definite a, yes. That would be a, a definite yes. So you would be in favor of Montreal getting a baseball team again? Oh, no question about it. I mean, the the only thing that I, I want to make sure is that uh, corporate corporate Canada is going to support them, and that uh, they're going to get the big television money. They didn't have that when I was covering. Right, right. So um, yeah, in, f in fact, that, that's I remember what the, I want to see. I remember the one year, Bill, wasn't it that they went without a a, a, a TV contract uh, for the one year where they, none of the games were on on local TV there. That's correct. And uh, the thing was, when I was there, none of the games were on the English station. That's they were right. all on the, on the French station. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, they would need, when I say corporate Canada, they would have, they need big television revenue to help them survive. So is it fair to say if three, four years from now, uh, MLB is back in Montreal, MLB.com is going to get some expense reports with trips to Montreal for Bill Latson. I would hope so. I mean, I love the place, man. I mean, two, you know, I was there two years, and, you know, I've said it many times, the best food I ever tasted was in Montreal. You know, it was, it was great uh, being in Montreal. I enjoyed it. Ah, oh, come on. You know the food at RFK was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, right. Hey, last question for you real quick. We didn't mention him at all. Who's going to end up with Corey Kluber? Is it going to be the Dodgers or the Yankees or Cincinnati or Milwaukee? Well, I think it depends on which team is, uh, you know, willing to give up a lot. I mean, to get Corey Kluber, you're going to have to give up a lot of yeah. minor league prospects, hopefully some major league prospects in return. Uh, man. That's a good one. I don't know, man. I I, I I have to say, you know, maybe the Dodgers. Maybe the Dodgers that's, have them. That's I think they're the, the favorite. I think that's what I'm thinking. I don't see the Padres. I don't think he's the right fit for the no, Padres. No, way. All. no all way. All right, Bill Latson, we wish you a very happy and healthy new year ahead, and we appreciate it, and we'll talk to you in a few weeks, all right? Take care, guys. Thank make, you make, very make, much, Make it about another three or four for me, all right? You got it. You'll hear right. me today, Craig. I'm sure I will. All right. Take care, Bill. 
Take All care. Right. There's Bill Latson. We're going to take a final time out right now, and i got to tell you about the Costas Inn, located at 4100 North Point Boulevard. Um, Lots of specials spe on the menu. they got specials every every night of the week. Right. Do you know what they are? I know that I, I constantly forget what Monday night How many night. times have we done this? He's spot. done it about 100 times. Monday, Monday night is crab cake crab night. Crab cake night. Tuesday night is rib yeah, I mean, night. It's one of the, Wednesday one of the, night wait, is wait Stan the Fan's favorite steak night. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Crab cakes are what they are mostly right. known for. I have that a mental and block. And I have a mental block. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> crab you cake me night. A knucklehead before. Crab cake night on Monday night. You're Rib night on Tuesday. Yeah. Right. Steak night. That's your night. Wednesday night. Wednesday night. night. Jane's night. She leaves me home it's Thursday night. Right. She'd like to leave me home. Right. But I pick up the check. It, well. And then Friday night. Is well, I pick up the check even if she goes and I stay home. Uh -huh. Somehow I end up getting With it on the bill. my credit yeah, card. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Friday night is a whole host of Pete's specials. Uh, and uh, listen, and prime rib too. Let me let me let me tell you about the prime rib. Tell me about the prime rib. Prime rib. But we're doing a commercial for the Costas Inn, right, not the prime rib. No, but prime rib at the Costas Inn. Oh, okay. Is as good as you'll find anywhere. Heaping, helping. Big slabs of meat, and it's it's medium. <laughs> that's a beautiful way to put it. Well, what, what can I tell you? Big slab of meat. Yeah, that's what it is All because right. you can't eat. And one. you can attest to that. I can attest to that because you can't you've eaten eat one. it. You can't eat it in a whole setting. You have to take half of it home with you for really, yeah, absolutely. All right. Anyway, that's just a few of the reasons uh, to go to the Costas Inn. They've got music a couple times a week. Right. And on New Year's Eve, they've got some special music. That's right. It's the Rat Pack. Rick Oliger and the boys, they'll be in. Usually they are there the first Friday of every month during the course of the year. But a uh, special time this year, New Year's Eve, ring in the new year at the Costas Inn with the Rat Pack. All right. We'll be back to close things out in just a second. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference, both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local Turtle. Pressbox's annual Best of Baltimore Sports Double Issue is now available. Presented by Maryland Sports Commission. This issue recognizes UMBC basketball's Ryan Odom and Jarris Lyles as our local sports persons of the year. Plus, 60 more are in the spotlight as we look at the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. 
Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Oriole podcast around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts what's up it's kz this season you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at loop league click the link pinned at the top of my twitter page that's at fans fantasy and pick any five games against the spread every week it's free to sign up and someone wins a 25 dollars royal farms gift card every single week plus we'll have great season-long prizes as well and check out all the other awesome games at loop league where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time join our picks league now at loopleague.com Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cater your holiday party at home, at the office, or as that contribution you make to your friend's party. Take the nugget platter. I guarantee your friends will eat every bite. Enough with the meatballs in a crock pot. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square will cook it, pack it, and if you'd like, deliver it. Sandwiches, sliders, waffle fries, desserts, even breakfast. Have you tried the Chick-fil-A chicken minis? Delicious. You have enough to do. Don't add more cooking. For not only will your catering platter be sensational, but your home will smell amazing and you won't be exhausted by the time your party starts. Order online or through your Chick-fil-A app. If you need help, ask Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. He's been there for 150 years. He knows how to do everything. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, for the holidays, you're welcome. We are back. On the battle round. Mm-hmm. That uh, does wrap up this week's show. And this uh, year's uh, then this edition. And this year's, we made it through another year. Yeah, how about that? Another year of shows. Uh, what do you think tomorrow? You think the Ravens are going to take care of business tomorrow? They should. Uh, everything points in their direction as far as being at home. Uh, what they have to do, Joe, they got to hang on to the football. They can't commit turnovers. And if they do, they're going to be in a lot of trouble because – uh, the Browns are one of the better teams in the league at creating turnovers. They've done that. Baker Mayfield is a much better quarterback now than he was in week two or whenever they faced yeah, him earlier. Three or four, I right. think. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, look, any any Ravens fans out there who are thinking this is going to be a gimme game. Uh, not going to be a gimme not, game. Not going to be a gimme game. Better come with uh, your, your A game and ready to play. All right. Uh, that does wrap us up. Give me a score, though, tomorrow. I'm going to pick the Ravens 21-17. Okay. I'm picking 24-19. Right okay. on the cusp of that spread. Yeah. It's a five-and-a-half, six-point game. Picking the Ravens, but I think it's going to be a nail-biter but all the way through. What's going to be interesting, though, is they, they also flex that Steelers game with the Bengals to 425 right, as well. Right. So there's not going to be anything of the, well, the Ravens know the Steelers won. They have to win this game. Right. Uh, they're going to be They've playing They've got to generate their own motivation. Right, their own motivation. And they're also going to be, regardless of what people and coaches will tell you, 
they'll be watching the scoreboard. A little All right. Bit. I just my one thing is I urge Baltimore football fans that have tickets in hand to go out to the game tomorrow. It's going to be forty plus degrees. It's not going to be bitter cold. Anything like that. So get out to the game and root Mm -hmm. on the Ravens. All right. Thanks to Brittany Everett. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Don't forget tomorrow, uh, the Fantasy and Reality Football Show from 10 to 12, halftime of the Ravens game. It'll be Project Game Day with Glenn Clark. After the game, Sarita Hubbard and that's the NFL chick and Glenn Clark for a post-game edition of um, Project Game Day. Monday through Friday, always Glenn Clark Radio Show. Probably off on New Year's Day, though. The difference of what talk shows are going to sound like next week uh, if they win as opposed oh, to if they lose. it's going to be unbelievable. All right, that does wrap us up. We'll talk to you uh, next week. Same time, same station. Have a great New Year's.